Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, and it's headed in my version as the parable of the talents. For, Jesus said, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given." And he will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of having faith to minister to us. And we pray, Lord, that not just the things she's recently taught of, but all the things you've taught her through her life as she's wrestled with tough passages, as she's spoken about, as she's studied, as she's learned, as she's listened to you, that she may be able to release into our hearts this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dear. 
very good. Thank you. Well, what a privilege to be here with you all again this morning. I, I came along with Roger last week and we're here again. It's a joy to be with you all in Forest Hill, as I'm sure you know. Um, two weeks ago, Roger and I uh, travelled to Wales, to ross on um, because Roger had been asked to speak at the funeral of one of our first Ichthus people. You know how we began back in 1974 and a small group of us gathered together to seek the Lord and uh, the, the um, job that Roger gave us all was to re-evangelize London. Okay. Of course, inevitably, as a few years went on, he enlarged it a bit, so eventually we were re-evangelizing the world. But we started with London, okay. We weren't a large group, but there were two um, couples who joined us at that time, two couples who were older than us, and um, they, were, they had been for many years in a church where they really hadn't had opportunity to do very much because they were not really understood, but their hearts were really for the Lord. So when we began Ictus, they joined us. And um, Roger and I were in Wales two weeks ago for the funeral of one of those guys. His name was Jim Major, those of you who might remember him. And Jim was 100 years old when he died. That's not bad, is it? And uh, the, the uh, pastor of the church where the funeral was held, which was the church that Jim had been in for the last few years, he, uh, his wife, by the way, Polly, is also 100, and she's still going on. Okay, they're an amazing pair. They really were. But I remember that the pastor told us he'd only been in the church for the previous two years, so he'd only known Jim right at the end of his life. Jim was very alert and alive right to the end. And this pastor told us that at one point, uh, Jim had asked to speak to the pastor. He was already 100, Jim, at that point, or just coming up to it. And he asked to speak to him, and he said to the pastor, is there something wrong with this church? Is there a problem with the people? There is so little life expressed. And, and he said, for example, nobody ever says amen when there's a preach or praise God or hallelujah or anything like that. And the pastor said, Jim was deadly serious when he said, we, we need to ask, is the life flowing in the people? Now, Roger and I, when we heard that, we laughed because when Jim had first come to join us, he had a very traditional church background and he would never have dreamt of doing any of those things himself then. But over the years, God had brought him and his wife alive in the spirit. They, they uh, helped to pioneer our work in Cyprus that was leading into the Middle East and they were just an amazing pair in so many ways. So... We were there for that. So isn't it amazing what God does? I think of some of the people who were there with us in the early days with the same heart that we still have. So when I was looking at the passage for this morning, I was thinking, I know it, it could have been worse, I realize that, but I was thinking, you know, if you are a preacher in Ictus, you, you have to go by Roger's conviction that what we need to do um, in, in the church is not just all preach on our favorite bits or on what is kind of floating around out there that we could pick up on. We need to consistently give the word of God. So sometimes preachers from elsewhere, they say to me, you know, preachers in other congregations, they say to me, 
oh my goodness, why are we having this passage? I don't mean today's, but sometimes. And I say, well, because we're following through the word. <laughs> this is where we've come to. We are being faithful to the truth. Anyway, uh, so here we are. I didn't feel it totally about this passage this morning that we just read because it's the parable of the talents. But I certainly think the challenge of this parable and the others around it is very strong to us because I found that I couldn't really just focus only on that parable because it's actually one of five and the middle three um, are, are this is the third of the middle three there's another one next week but um, they are all about whether we are ready for the Lord's return you know in our 21st century I don't think we think a huge amount about Jesus saying I'm returning I am coming again sometimes when there are crises all around us you know earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and pestilence Sometimes when those things happen, you think, hang on a minute, I think Jesus said something about all these things. And we might think, Jesus, is your return near? Are you, are you, are you returning? Uh, what does the Lord say to us? Well, I think there are three in these, I'm just going to touch briefly. I know we've done two, the two previous weeks, but I'm going to pick out one thing out of each of those two previous parables before the talents. The first one was, you remember, the parable of the household, the second one was the parable of the bridesmaids and the oil. And the third one is this one where, where, where the master gave his servants. When it says talents, you know that that was um, one of the names in the ancient world for a, a sum of money which amounted to thousands of pounds. <laughs> so it wasn't a tiny amount. I think it's, I think it's about 10,000 pounds. It, it would equate to in our money large sums of money and basically they were told to do business with it weren't they so first of all when the first parable which we'll just briefly touch into was where there was a householder and he was talking about the kind of household he should have and then secondly we see those bridesmaids who had their own individual response to the bridegroom and to their duty or to what they were called to do and the third one is about the talents here which I'll touch into a moment in a moment but when we look if we can go into this for the moment let's leave it on that I've, I've got a clicker do you know that I I should probably forget to use it but I can actually change my own slides how about that that's pretty impressive isn't it good old Forest Hill right anyway um, let me just sorry did I bang it um, no don't change it anymore Chris just leave it with that please did it just change itself? Oh, okay. Chris, just, just leave. <laughs> That's okay. I've got the clicker, so I'll do it. Um, anyway, thank you. Brilliant. Right. Okay, let's... Um, I'm just going to remind you, if you've got a Bible, please look at it, but don't, don't, you don't feel you have to. What are, first of all, I want to read just those few verses at the end of chapter 24, which we had wonderfully acted for us during the afternoon service, the 3T, didn't we, with um, Leslie and Ian brilliantly. But let me read those few verses. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? 
Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkard, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so it's about judgment, isn't it? But let's see what he's being judged over, because I, I came across this parable in a, in a deeper way uh, oh, a lot of years ago and it affected everything in the way I looked at the church and uh, not that I saw it vastly different but what struck me there is the actual, um, the actual Greek there says who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his healing because the word household there it's translated household but it's only used, that word is not normally translated for a household, and it's only used one, in one other place in the New Testament, and that's in Revelation, when it talks about the city of God, and it says about the trees, and it says, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That word healing is the same as the word that's translated household. It's actually therapeutic, and you can see why, because we get our word therapeutic from it. Um, in other words, God's household was to be a healing household. And that's been in my heart right from the beginning of our work for God here and amongst Ichthus. We need to be a healing household. We pray that for every one of our congregations. Lord, we want them to be a healing household. Wonderful if people are individually ministered to, but even if they're not, just coming in should be a healing experience. And as we come, came in today and joined and saw one another and greeted each other, there is healing in the love of God flowing among us. And so the Lord says what he will judge at the end of time when he returns is anyone who has damaged that healing process. I think it's pretty serious, don't you? Because he says that some who should be feeding others and helping others, so he's talking about those he put in some form of leadership among his people who are living self-indulgent lives, is what he's saying, and they are, they are also cruel to one another. They, he says this, this particular servant begins to beat his fellow servants. He gets bullying and angry and... He, uh, he also then eats and drinks with the drunkard, with the drunkards. So in other words, he's very self-indulgent. Let's see if I can get anywhere with this. Do I? Debbie, if I ask you to do it. Oh, here we are. It's coming. Thank you. Can I get you hold it? I think I can't do it left-handed. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. The wicked servant here was he neglected the household. He was self-serving and bullying. Now, praise God, we do not have anyone in leadership of any kind or house leadership and overall leadership of this congregation who is that. I believe that totally. But we want to be sure all the time that our lives are right before the Lord, which is why we want to help one another, isn't it? To live in a way which pr promotes 
the healing household of God. I love it when people say, sometimes people have said to us, who used to be with us years ago, you know, they will say, oh, I was just, I remember being there among the people of God and, and God just touched my life so deeply. And now they're serving him in various ways or they've moved house to the other end of the country. But God was there. That is our desire. And when we see Jesus, especially if you've had some position of responsibility in his church, he might ask you, how did you fulfill it? Did you seriously think that you need to pray for people? You need to pray healing for them, not only for physical things, but for healing for hearts. Because so often uh, people come in with a lot of wounds. We all have wounds of one sort or another, don't we? Or have had them. Maybe God has healed them for you. But we've all had experiences in our lives, at least it would be rare to find someone who hadn't, that hurt us or caused us grief. But the healing household is there to be a therapeutic group of people for you. So the first thing that Jesus says is, please be ready for my coming. Make sure you're fulfilling the role I gave you if you've got some responsibility among his people. Okay, and then he, he points out that the, can I have the last click, um, receives judgment. Sorry. Oh, here it is. The verdict on the wicked servant who, did, who neglected the household was he received judgment when his master comes. Now, I'm not going to attempt to go into all the ways in which um, comment, commentaries and others have tried to interpret. For example, it says this man will be cut in two. Some people have said, well, it means he'll be cut off. The point about the Greek is that often it's, it's quite um, dramatic in the way it expresses things, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is sawn in two. Um, but it's just saying that there will be an effect on their life, and we will be cut off from something if we've grieved the Lord. I wonder if we ever stop and think, Lord... Let's just pause a minute. If you're in any kind of leadership in the church here or anywhere else, let's ask the Lord, Lord, are we, are we grieving you? Are we feeding and building up your body? Or are we being lazy and cruel and self-seeking? God, please cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. Help us to know the love of God flowing within us by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, we're going to move to the next one then. Thank you, Debs. So, what's the next, the next parable? Was the foolish bridesmaids. That's, um, that's the one that Phil dealt with really beautifully last week. But the point I want to take out of it is very simply, you know the story, there were, there were uh, ten bridesmaids who were prepared, waiting for the bridegroom to come. The bridegroom was going to come, gather his little group, because they were going to process with him to fetch the bride and go to the marriage uh, feast. And so they had a specific job, but they didn't know exactly when the bridegroom was going to come to collect them. So we're told they all slumbered and slept. Now, that was all of them, not just, not just the, um, the wicked ones, or not just the foolish ones, rather, but the, the good ones as well. They were all tired. It, life was going on as normal because they were waiting. But then suddenly there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom's coming. And the five ones who were ready raced out. The others um, discovered that they, as they went out to meet him, 
although all of them went out to meet the bridegroom and trimmed their lamps but what the foolish ones found was that the lamps kept going out the reason was that they become so low in oil and nobody had filled up the oil nor did they have any extra oil to take with them in case they needed it which is what the wise ones did you know the story and so their lamps were going out and they wanted the wise bridesmaids to give them some of theirs and the wise bridesmaids said I'm sorry if we give you this we won't have enough for us and we need to accompany the bridegroom and so they went to go and buy it but by the time they came back the feast had already begun and the door was shut and, you know, the, the, the bridesmaids came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But Jesus answered, or rather the man in parable answers and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. What's the Lord saying here? This parable is following the previous one. He's saying, he's not talking now specifically to those who are leaders in the church. He's talking to all of us. We are all those who want to go with Jesus into the wedding feast. We want to be part of the bride. We want to be there. But the parable is highlighting the fact we need to keep oil. We need to keep our supply of oil. Now, there have been various thoughts by commentators as to what the oil represents. But to me, it is so obviously the Holy Spirit and his work. We mustn't ever let go of the Holy Spirit and his work. Because he's the one that, well, at least oil is used to minister healing in James 5. Call for, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church, let them pray over the person, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. There's, there's the oil of healing, but also, as we know, they used to anoint the priests with oil to show they were set apart to God. Oil was very, very specific symbol of God's presence and his activity. So here we have the oil has run out. They hadn't been topping it up. They presume, because we're told that as soon as they lit their lamps, they realized that they were flickering. They weren't able to go on, so that must mean the oil had already been running out and they didn't notice. And so although they were supposedly waiting for the bridegroom, they weren't ready at all when he suddenly came because they hadn't filled up the oil now the wise bridesmaids had um, but these ones hadn't and so they actually in the end there was a division the door closed you know it's hard to say this isn't it because people don't like it I remember being in a group uh, in actually it was at the charismatic leaders conference which I think still goes on, but Roger and I used to be very involved with that. And there were discussion groups, and they were talking about um, they were talking about judgment and rewards. You know, Roger's written a book on rewards. Well, we believe that there is there is a difference. I don't believe the Lord would be cruel and hateful to any of us. We know He is full of love, but I do think He makes a distinction. So there will be a distinction between those who've kept their oil t- topped up and those who haven't. I feel that there's so much assumptions that it doesn't matter. And I remember when we were discussing it, the charismatic leaders, and people were being very moved. But one of the guys just said there, oh, I don't take this, I I don't believe in any of this kind of stuff. He said, because that's just elitism. And we just laughed, you know, we said, what do we mean elitism? Yes, there is a reward for those who want to stay in touch with Jesus. 
I don't mean that we do it for a reward, do we? But we do it because we want to please him. And that's what it means. So here these bridesmaids obviously got caught up in their own lives and didn't do it. So therefore the the exhortation in that parable was just be ready. It's your personal relationship it's talking about now. That's for all of us. Okay, can we have the other bits and then we're... um, so the verdict on them was that they missed out on the wedding feast. There, there will be, there'll be all sorts of ways in which the Lord will bring forth those who've really sought him and suffered for him. I'm sure you feel it, but often when I read some of the stories of what people have endured for Jesus' sake across the earth and the way they have loved him to the end, I feel totally small, don't you? I often feel totally Lord, we're not doing anything at all. Look at these people who, who followed you in such great tribulation, but they've held firm to you and have gone to heaven with joy in the end. And so this, these bridesmaids just missed out on all the celebrations or the joy of the Lord's return. Okay, let's have the third one then. So we've got the parable of the talents, which is what we're doing today, or at least we're looking into it. Now, the way I see this is the first parable was about, if you like, the church or the family of God, the community of God, and how we treat one another and whether it's a healing household or not. And the second one is about our personal relationship with the Lord because it's about whether I keep the oil topped up in my lamp. Do you ever stop and say to yourself, Lord, have I really been receiving your spirit these last days? Lord, have I got so involved in the busyness of life that I've missed out on communion with you? Have you ever done that? Well, that's what the bridesmaids needed to do but hadn't done. And then here we have, so that was the personal relationship. And this one I see as our service into the world and out into the wider kingdom. Because this is about the talents. So although it it seems to be about a household, they're not talking about how they behaved in the household in this parable. It tells you that the master, before he went away on his journey, um, he, he called his servants together and delivered his goods to them. And they were pretty valuable goods because as I've already mentioned he gave to one five talents that's probably about 50,000 pounds um, of goods maybe it was goods maybe it was money but the and then to another he gave two two talents probably about uh, 20,000 and then to the other one Um, he gave them different amounts we're told according to their different abilities presumably their ability to trade with these goods now if you're not somebody who um, messes around on the stock exchange which is probably the great majority of us if we don't do that or we don't you know we're not somebody who trades in goods of any kind it may be maybe less able to identify with this but obviously the Lord uses an analogy which was true in the ancient world as well where people did trade and he said okay now I'm I'm this is what he would have done I'm leaving you this amount of my goods to trade with and to increase okay and he did that in different measures with one one had five, one two, and one had one talent. And you remember the story uh, as we read it. Because the first one traded with the goods and served, and then he made uh, another five talents, another 5,000, if you like, because he went and traded with them. 
And then the two, one who had two talents traded and they gained two more. Also, again, the same amount back. But the third person, the third person thought, well, what am I going to do with this, this money? Well, you know, I really don't know how to trade with it and uh, I don't really want to get on with that. So why don't I just bury it in the ground, which was a popular way in the ancient world to hide your treasure. Let's put it there so it will be quite safe. And when the master returns, he can have it back. Of course, when the master came, he was the only one who had not made anything out of the goods that he'd been given, out of the talent that he'd been given. And so what what is it saying? Well, I believe it's talking about the way we serve into the world and the way we increase the kingdom of God and bring more glory to the Lord, more honor to him. So with some people, and especially because it says he gave them according to their ability, which probably means according to the other circumstances they were in, um, so that one was able to, to be entrusted with a large amount and did a huge amount. You know, you get your Billy Grahams, who probably used his five talents pretty well. And he he increased the number of people who were calling on the name of the Lord, didn't he? We know people who serve the Lord in very difficult parts of the earth who are taking their talents and using them. And by the way, the only thing with using the word talent is because we use it these days to mean, you know, gifts and abilities. But this was a monetary thing, so uh, it's a bit confusing to talk about talents. But but because the English have just adapted it to to mean... um, inherent gifts and abilities but this there are people as I've already mentioned who are serving the Lord and increasing his kingdom increasing the number of people who are saying Lord Jesus let your kingdom come so that when the Lord returns he will find a whole lot of other people whom your life has influenced because you used your one talent two talents three talents four talents to serve the kingdom and to increase the glory of the Lord and to increase, therefore, the master's goods, which is what he's saying. But the one who didn't was because it says he was lazy. That's what he was called, wicked and lazy servant. I guess we're all lazy to some degree, aren't we? Is that true? Uh, And Pat Roger used to have a housemaster, he told us years back who used to say, every man is as lazy as he dares to be. And that's probably very true, isn't it? Every one of us is as lazy as we dare to be. And um, But if we have the Spirit of God urging us on, we don't want to be lazy. Whatever our circumstances, we want to be increasing the value of the Lord's goods that he's entrusted to us. Is that fair enough? You all following the idea in there? So, the lazy servant... hid the talent and did nothing. The verdict, therefore, was that he totally missed out on the blessing. The other two servants were praised, both praised equally, even though one had had five talents and increased it by five more, another had two. But they both received commendation, blessing, and they both um, received a reward. So... Enter into the joy of your Lord means enter into the joy of this business that we're all in of taking the kingdom throughout the earth. But the lazy servant missed out on that blessing. In fact, we're told he was cast, the unprofitable servant, into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be sorrow. I do believe that, do you? I believe that when the Lord returns probably all of us will weep tears of sorrow that we didn't do 
more for the Lord or that we so often lived our lives putting him out of the picture or we handled our relationships without the Lord at the heart of them. I believe we may well find all of us have that experience of weeping. But this, in this, the lazy servant missed out on the blessing. So what is the Lord saying to us? Okay, I just had some thoughts as I looked at it. What's Jesus saying? Here's the first one. I don't know who wrote this. Was it Godfrey Bertel or was it Henry George? Don't look back. Don't turn back. Don't give up now. You remember the song that somebody wrote that we sing? Was it, who was it? Godfrey. Okay. Debbie thinks it was Henry. I couldn't decide. I didn't know. I should ask the worship leader. <laughs> Henry. We think it was Henry. Don't look back. Yeah. Don't, don't look back. Don't turn back. Don't give up now. Okay. Uh, we, we sing that song. And in some ways, when we sing it, I think that is so true as what the Lord is saying. Don't look back. Don't think, oh, I've come a long way, so I've done pretty well. Don't turn back and think, oh, I can't do any more. Don't give up now because the, the end is in sight and we have the joy of the Lord as the end. Okay, then a few more things. Be ready, he mentions. Be ready for when your Lord returns. Be faithful and wise. Be watchful. Be prepared. Be industrious for the master. Let's ask the Lord to help these things, not just to be rules or or um, things that people say to make you feel bad, but rather encouragement from the Lord. Be ready, be faithful, be watchful, be prepared, be industrious for the master. Okay, then I've got a final slide here. What do we think is saying? Well, this, I, I'm pretty sure, is C.S. Lewis. I, uh, I didn't remember to look it up, but it's always been in my mind that Lewis wrote this. He wrote die before you die because there's no chance afterwards what is he saying we have to die to ourselves before we die outwardly because if we die outwardly we won't have the chance to deal with those things in our lives that we should have got rid of a long time ago die before you die there's no chance afterwards what I want us to do just now, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask Ian if he would sing us a song. We can listen. You may know the song. You may not. It's a, a song which Graham Kendrick wrote uh, some years ago. And it's about the Lord's return. But I think, I want us to think about the things we've been looking at. And I'm just going to pray as Ian gets ready. Lord, Lord, every one of us has to say to you, Lord, that we know that we are so often unprofitable servants, Lord. But you tell us that you know that already, Lord. You know that we are, we are full of, of weaknesses, full of sins, full of things that we do wrong. But Lord, we do want to please you, Lord. We do love you. Lord, we thank you for the people that you put around us in your body, and we want them to be blessed. We want you to be able to bring people in and let their hearts be healed among us. Lord, we want to be people who reflect you in this world, who see your kingdom extending through the world, whether through our prayers, our actions, our words. Lord, we pray that we may be faithful with all that you've entrusted to us. So we ask your help us to be ready, Lord. Thank you. Let your living word.